Today we're going to be finishing out Romans 8, starting in verse 28. If you don't have a Bible, there are blue Bibles in your, underneath your chairs, and you can find the passage on page 550. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called to the, he also called. And to those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God's words. You can may be seated. Yeah, Jack, that was a lot of God's word, wasn't it? Yes. Thank you for reading that long passage. So this is what happens, you know. Josh Watt preaches two verses last Sunday and says, Hey, Mason, why don't you do about 42 verses for me? Gosh. Great to be with you guys, North Mountain. And uh, I brought some groupies in the front row that will laugh at my jokes in case you don't get them because, you know, you're naive and young and dumb. This is Memorial Day weekend, which means none of you have a second home in Pace Center Flag. You're all just one house people. Here you are. But uh, Memorial Day is an important thing for our nation, where we specifically remember uh, men and women who died in military service uh, on our behalf. And uh, so I, I just want to take a moment, if there's someone here who... You have lost a loved one, a friend in the service of our country. Uh, just raise your hand. I'll try to see you through the bright lights. Anybody here that lost a loved one? Carlos, you did. Bill, you did. Yeah, yeah. In the back. Okay. Uh, it's important that we remember them. Uh, many of them were just, I mean, think of that, just 18, 19, 20 years old, had their whole life in front of them and uh, gone in a, in a battle. Uh, so it's important that we remember, and particularly the families that uh, gave their loved one. Jesus' words always come to mind, don't they? John 15, there is no greater love than this, that someone would lay down their life for their friend. And I love to read uh, military stuff, and I like to read about the Navy SEALs and some of those guys. And they all say in the heat of battle, when the bullets are flying and the bombs are going off, they're not thinking... I'm doing this for my country, really at that moment they're thinking I'm doing it for the person next to me. 
and they really have uh, given their life to those men and women on either side of them and we're grateful so let's just pray a moment shall we and thank God for them and pray for their families Father, we think of uh, those young men and women who gave their life on a battlefield far from home. Uh, I think of their families and loved ones that will always remember. They'll always go to the gravesite. They'll always put a, a flag or something in their window because uh, they're not going to forget. And I praise the nation. I'm grateful that we take time to remember. So. Uh, Give them comfort. I pray specifically for those men and women in our service that are believers, that are uh, your people out there in Afghanistan and all over the world. And pray that they would be your light and uh, that they would have an opportunity to talk about you in a dangerous place. Thank you for this church. Thank you, Jesus, that this is your church and you're building it, and that's our great hope today. In your name we pray. Amen. Romans 8, we're at the end. Hope you have a, a Bible or can pull up your phone to uh, look at these amazing verses. They're, they're so powerful. They're so big. I mean, the promises, it's just, it's just too much. It, uh, and in some ways, that's what you would hope that the promises of the word are so big and all-encompassing, that's what you would expect from God. Religion would not make such bold promises. Religion would say, uh, you know, if, if you try hard and you do the right ceremonial things and you're kind of a good person, you don't lie too much, you don't cheat too much, you drive the speed limit most of the time, and you're pretty faithful to your loved ones, then you'll probably get to heaven. That's religion. What we're going to read here in Romans 8 is just, I mean, it's already downhill for me to even preach on it. It is so magnificent, these promises. So how can I trust them? Well, it all goes back to the empty tomb. Jesus validated the scriptures by his resurrection. He said, they're going to kill me in three days, and I will come to life, and he did, and uh, the men who were afraid and all ran for their lives at the crucifixion now are boldly preaching, most of them martyred for their faith. Something happened, he really is alive, and so here we sit, 2,000 years later, on the other side of the globe from where all that happened, because he's alive in building his church. These promises, we can count on them, just as we could count on Jesus' word to be true because of the resurrection, we can count on these promises throw up a slide for me would you team back there anybody ever done that why would you yeah that's what you're uh, it, when you're successful you're like the person on the right standing there on a telephone pole I was at a, a camp where uh, we were supposed to do that my pictures not in there I never got as far as any of those people. I like to think of myself as a, a person with some courage, but when I got on that pole and started to climb up, it, it didn't matter that I had a harness on me and I had these uh, ropes, these cables to support me. <clears throat> the coach is saying to me, Sandy, you're safe, you're safe, but my body would have none of it. And my muscles turned to jelly 
and my courage ran out of me like water. It was very humbling. And uh, I never made it to the top of the pole. I just clung to that pole, a mature man embarrassing himself because uh, my body said, you're going to die. You, you go another foot and you're going to die. And my body won over the truth. Because the truth is I was safe. But the challenge was, how do I get my body to believe that? Men and women, that is the Christian life. You're going to hear some truths this morning that are wonderful, powerful, life-changing, if you'll trust them. And so if all that you do is hear these promises today, and you think about them, by Wednesday you're still the guy clinging to the pole. The only way I could ever have gotten to the top is if I'd stayed at that camp all week. And every morning and every evening, if I had worked on going up the pole with coaching, and every day my body saw, oh, I'm not going to die, I'm not going to die. I, I might have at least gotten to where I could be near the top. But it would take practice. That's the Christian life. All these truths are of no impact if you don't train yourself in these truths. Paul said, train yourself to be godly. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What did he mean? That it's going to take effort to get these truths into where your body and soul really believe them so they can have an impact on your peace and your joy and your confidence in Christ. He said to Timothy, Timothy, you know, it's great that you go to the gym. Timothy went to the gym. He said, that has some benefit. But godliness, training yourself to trust the truths of the word, has benefit for this life and the life to come. But we must be trained in it. That's, that's why churches gather, and that's why we need groups of men meeting and women meeting where we memorize these truths, and we share them, and we pray for each other, and we, we learn and practice living in these truths. That's when you have the courage to climb the pole. If you just hear these truths, and you, you don't get any kind of practice with anybody else, they will be of no benefit to you. Because your body, your life, the environment around us is hostile to these truths. And even the evil one will shout to you, see, it's not true. Look at your circumstances. If these things were true, this wouldn't be happening. So I'm excited to share these truths, but I want to just lay the foundation that these are truths I want you to hear. I want you to take them with you this week. I want you to find somebody else that you can meet with and pray with and say, let's Let's learn to walk and trust these truths. Because they're real. Just like the harness, just like the rope, it was real. But I, I had never been trained to trust them. All right. Romans 8. What a chapter. Begins with that no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Chapter 8, verse 1. No condemnation. Zero. None. You and I, when we stand before God on the other side, there will not be any review of your sins, as dark and frequent as they are. The only accountability for you and I will be, so what would you do with what I gave you? All, think of all Jesus' parables. All his parables are about, okay, this guy had a, a business, and he called his servants. He said, I'm going to go on a far country. Here, one talent for you, three for you, five for you. Go invest them. When he came back, it mattered to him what they did with the things he gave them. 
That's what Jesus wants to know from you. What'd you do with the stuff I gave you? Not for condemnation, for joy, so he can reward them. He wants to reward you. So some of you, you know your reward will be, uh, well, nice try, here's a little sticker. But you'll get rewarded. Others that we've never heard of, powerful, humble, anonymous saints, are going to receive a reward that we'll just fall on our knees and say, they are, wow. So this life matters. Who you are now is who crosses into the other side. Uh, unencumbered by sin, a new body, hallelujah, but it's still you. So you want to be training now for how your fruitfulness will continue on the other side. That's what Paul said. Timothy, train yourself in scripture memory, in service, in worship, in the disciplines of the Spirit, because that's going to serve you now and in the life to come. I'm not exactly sure how. I just know Scripture made it clear who I am now and how I live now impacts how I live on the other side. All right, so Romans says you've been delivered from all condemnation. You have the Holy Spirit Josh did a great job helping us understand the Holy Spirit. He's, he's groaning. He's uttering the deepest uh, burdens of our heart and soul. He expresses them to God. God cares. He's listening. God's with me. He's for me. Wow. And then comes this, this great finish. Are you with me? Verse 28. Here we go. Put on your seatbelt. We know. Not we think. We hope. We're pretty sure. No, we know, Paul says. Now, I've got New American Standard. It turns the clauses, but if you'll, you'll be with me. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. You know, you watch a TV show or a movie, and somebody will say all the time, oh, oh that's okay, everything will work out. Don't you get tired of that? Oh, everything will work out. Maybe you've got somebody in your life that that's what they, oh, don't worry, everything will work out. It's like what they're saying is, I really don't want to hear any more about your problems, so it's fine, it'll work out. That's not this. <laughs> this is God saying, I'm at work in you. Philippians 1, 6 says, He who began a good work in you is going to get it done. He's going to get it done. You can't stop him. No more than you could stop a train roaring down the tracks. It's God. It's the king of the universe, the creator of all things. He's going to get done what he wants to get done in you. All things. Even the dumb things that you've made a mistake about. The things you regret. Even the terrible things that have been done to you. All those things are going to be redeemed somehow. Some way. Probably not that you're going to see even in this life, but he's doing something in them. So there's no wasted suffering. There's no wasted tears. Because God is working all of it for something good. For everybody, no, there is a condition. Did you see the condition? Those who love him. Those who love him. They're the ones who are called to him. We're going to get into that sovereign hand of God that is a great comfort to the believer but uh, confounds those outside the family of God. But the, the clue, the hope is for those of us who love God. 
Now, the only reason that you love God, little heads up on 1 John, he said it so simply, we love him because he first loved us. It's always a response to the love of Christ for you that moves you to love God. If you're worried about, am I that person who loves God? Do you want to be? Then you are. The person who doesn't love God is disinterested in that. They might be religious. They might be interested in being a religious person. The Pharisees were very interested in religion. They weren't necessarily interested in loving God. They loved the status. They loved the affirmation of people who thought they were very religious, but they didn't really love God. That's why Jesus could call someone from the dead right in front of them and they'd go, oh, that's nice. How do we kill this guy? That's what religion can do. Fills you with your own self-righteousness, but you don't love God. If, if you are hoping you're one that loves God, you are. You are. You wouldn't, you wouldn't care about that unless the Spirit had given you a desire to respond to the great love of Christ. And this great statement, I come back to it all the time in my life and in counseling with others, God is redeeming everything. So Jesus is saying, on your life, Sister, on your life, sir, I get the last word. Not your job, not your finances, not cancer, not your divorce, not your rebellious kid. I, Jesus Christ, the risen one, I get the last word on you. Is that good? Is that good? Mm. All things. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 29. Let's keep going. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. Wow, did you notice? They're all past tense words. They're all things that have already happened. What's he saying? You're good. You're home free. Jesus said, those whom the Father has given me, I've got them all, and nobody snatches them out of my hand. Nobody. You're secure. People say, well, I don't like these words, you know, predestination call. It just sounds like, well, then I should just, oh, well, I guess he just designed everything. I won't care. I'll just, he's, he's sovereign. He's doing everything. Why should I pray? Why should I care? That's, that's terrible. It's a comfort that he's working, but I'm still responsible. Jesus said it so well. He said, uh, no one can come to the Father unless the Father calls them to me. But, John 3.16, whoever believes will be saved. So the invitation of the Scripture is whoever wants to will come, but the reality is if he doesn't stir you up to come, you won't come. And they're both true. They're both true. It's like Jesus. He was fully God, and he was fully man. Well, that's 200%. How can he do that? I, because he did. They're both true. Well, if God's sovereign, then that means I have no free will. No, you, you are responsible. You are culpable for your choices, and God is sovereign. They're just both true. Of course the Scripture would have things that we can't logically solve. If we could logically solve everything, that's called man-made religion. All the false religions, all the cults, they can solve all those things. Biblical Christianity says there's just some stuff you're not going to figure out. 
I'm sovereign. I'm working my purposes. You're responsible for your choices. Hmm. One of the things that uh, comes up in the first part of of Romans, or the last section that Josh preached so great, is that creation is groaning. Remember that? He says creation is groaning. That's such a good word. It's broken. It, it can't pull off what it wants to pull off. Anybody ever done a birthday party for a six-year-old? Invite their friends? You know, and you, you got the cake, and you got the decorations, and the little game things you're going to give them, and then the kids show up and somebody falls in the cake, and somebody tore down the banner, and somebody's over here crying and wants to go home. And it's just, it's chaos. It's nothing like what you envision. It's just a mess, and you're like, when is this over? When can I send them back to their parents? That's, that's such a picture to me of life. The wheels just keep falling off my wagon. Nothing lives up to my hope and my expectation. It shouldn't. It's broke. It's groaning. Your lawn, it looks awful right now. Why can't it be green and lush? It can't. It just can't. One of, you know, we talk about you and I complaining with our first world problems. And there is truth to that. You know, in America, we're kind of in this bubble of prosperity that causes us to have expectations for things that are so unrealistic. That believers in the other part of the world where death's more frequent and disease uh, follows them everywhere they go and there's war and pestilence and loss, they just have a reasonable expectation of this life. You groan. You know. Oh, I, I really wanted my marriage to be the perfect marriage. Anybody think they got the marriage? I always feel dishonest, you know, when I marry a guy and a gal and they're standing there and all he can think about is, wow, tonight I'm going to sleep with her. And all she can think is, I can't wait to change him into the guy I want him to be. And, and they both, in some level, will be disappointed. I mean, it just can't live up to it. You want to have kids, then you have some. And you think, what, 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 was, what was I thinking with this? You know, I mean, you love them, but it, it's not quite like the movie. You know, it's just this life can't live up to it. Lower your expectations that your dreams will come true. We're like the, the tiger at the zoo pacing behind the cage, just paces. Every zoo I've been to, the tiger, he just paces. He's a sermon. He's just saying, I was made for more. I'd like to get out of here and rip your arm off. I was made for more. <laughs> I want to kill something, eat something. I was made for more. And that's you, dear one. In your heart of hearts, you know you were made for more than this world. You have dreams. You have desires. You have images of beauty and relational tranquility and purpose and design and creativity that this world will never give you full expression of. That's why we need to you know, lower the expectation of your career. You can be anything you want to be, right. No, you can't. You're just not that smart. You didn't get that right degree. You know, you, lower the expectation. But know this. In all this brokenness, the living God is up to something. He's up to something. 
the most powerful picture for us of this, of course, is Jesus. Clearly, in the will of God and in the will of God, he was put into the hands of cruel men who did unseemly, unspeakable abuse to him that no one should have to experience. He experienced uh, what they did in the courtyard with the whipping within an inch of his life and the thorns and the mocking and the spitting. And then if that wasn't enough, they stripped him naked and gambled for his clothes and nailed him to that Roman form of execution. I mean, the most horrific thing you could imagine happening to someone you loved. Dear Mary, right there. John with her, but none of the other guys are there. That's, that's the most horrific thing someone could do to someone else, particularly an innocent person. And yet from that came the greatest thing, that he validated his word, the scriptures, the promises, all validated because death could not hold him. He's alive. And so here we keep gathering in his name. 2,000 years later, why are we meeting here? What's going on? He's alive. He's alive. God caused all things to work for for good in his life, and he wants to do it in your life. Wow. To those who love him. Spurgeon. I don't know if you guys have heard of Spurgeon. He was, uh, at the turn of the century, great British preacher and... uh, advocate for the great truths of uh, reformed theology he had uh, it was a mega church back when there weren't really mega churches uh, if you read some of his writings today they still bless your soul but he said this about sovereignty i know that god chose me before i was born because he never would have chosen me afterwards <laughs> isn't that so true isn't that so true thank you Spurgeon. that's exactly how i feel Look at verse uh, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? Uh, Wow. God's for you. The beauty of biblical Christianity is that it's very personal. That's why I love all these stories are about all kinds of regular individuals. So God's not just kind of saying, "Ah, I love humanity. He says, I love Bill. I love Derek. I love Josh. I love you. And I'm for you. So whoever you're afraid of, they're not as big as me. They're not as powerful as me. Whatever it is you fear, you've got me. And if I'm for you, what are you worrying about? What are you worrying about? He brings then this capstone, verse 32. I love this verse. He who did not spare his own son, you with me? Verse 32. But delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him, your translation says graciously, mine says freely, give us all things. I've got a slide of a quote. Can you throw that slide up, friend? Thank you. This is Augustine, Augustine of Hippo. That's not a veggie tale character. That's a place he lived in North Africa. Man's maker, well, let me read my own paper so I don't have to read yours up on the wall. Let these words, he just captures uh, who gave his life for you. 
Man's maker was made man. Isn't that astounding? The ruler of the stars might nurse at his mother's breast. That the bread might hunger. The fountain thirst. The light sleep. The way be tired on its journey. That truth might be accused of false witnesses. The teacher be beaten with whips. The foundation be suspended on wood. The strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. Why would he do that? Who would he do that for? For you and for me. How dare we claim that? It's what he declared. He declared it over you. I did it for you. How, if he gave his son for you, why do you think then that once you've come to faith that God's kind of like, okay, see you in heaven and moves on to something else? You're way too expensive. Remember when you had that old beater car? Some of you still driving it. I've seen them out there. You know, it's like 15 years old and the paint's awful and there's dents in it, but you don't care where you park it. You don't care if anybody hits it with the cart in the shopping mall. You don't care because it's just your old beater. But anybody ever bought a new car? Raise your hand. Fess up. Anybody bought a new car? Now when you drive to the parking lot, what do you do? Man, it's way out in the field. No one's touched it. And you'll never forget that first dent. Oh, no. Where did it come from? Who did this? I'm going to murder him. <laughs> the kids did it. Their bike. Oh. You, you put so much into that new car and expense. You, you keep your eye on it all the time. That's what God is saying. I've paid way too much for you to forget about you, to ignore you. You, you are mine because you love my son. I will never take my eye off you. I will give my angels... Uh, assignments concerning you and you will be with me remember all those past tense words you're glorified you're home already in my eyes the father says you're home free it's done so then how should i live maybe without fear without anxiety without bitterness because you're his first service my daughter bonnie and her husband josh were here they're two little girls uh, you know before josh lewis married bonnie he was just a nice guy that i met you know if he if he needed some money i might give him 20 bucks you know if he broke down the middle of the night i might call triple a for him or something but then there was that day when i stood with josh lewis in the the apple of my eye, Bonnie, and I got to unite them in holy marriage. And I gave her to him, so he has the light of my life. Now, if he needs $1,000, who do I write the check to? His car breaks down at 2 in the morning, I'll be there myself. It, see, everything changed because of who he has. And that's you. Everything changed when you took Christ. And the Father's predisposition to you moved to intense interest and concern. I mean, Jesus says these ridiculous things like, there's not a hair on your head I don't know about. I mean, he is aware 
and with you. And if he's for you, what is it you are afraid of? What is it you're worrying about? Who is it you fear? I remember when I was playing intramural flag football in college and uh, had this big guy that was our coach who had played college ball, Butch. Butch was as big as missing a tooth. He had a fake thing he could put in, but when he was coaching on a game, he took it out. So there's this big hole when he smiled. Just made him look gnarly and tough and built, you know, like Cody, just this big muscular dude. And, uh, so he told me, okay, Sandy, I was like, and I want you to, when we snap the ball, I want you to run down and I want you to knock that lineman he's been getting through. I want you just to hit him and knock him off his feet. So, okay, Butch, so snap the ball. I run down. I hit this guy in the legs. Probably illegal. I don't know. I just hit him, knocked him down. He was a big dude. He came up and he was going to tear my head off. And then he stopped. And he stopped because Butch had come on the field and was standing right behind me. And the guy looked at Butch and said, yeah, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> That's what you've got. That's what you've got. Like when they came to arrest Jesus in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Who are you looking for? Uh, we're looking for Jesus of the Nazarene. I'm he. Something got pulled back in a moment there. Some screen of glory got pulled back, and there were angels and glory and the th Soldiers saw it, and they just fell on the ground in fear. For a moment, he let them see who was behind him. That's you. Little humble you. Have the eye of the living God with you. It's too much, isn't it? it can't, it's, it's just too much. How could this be so? Where you say, well, if I have all this... excuse me, allergies, then why does this lousy stuff happen to me? If he loves me, if he's with me, why is he letting some of these things happen? I don't have an easy, quick answer. I just know you're in good company. The Apostle Paul who wrote these words, have you read 2 Timothy? Where he says, uh, Timothy, I, I hope you can come because everyone here in Asia has deserted me. The Apostle Paul, clearly called, gifted by God. Uh, there was a time in his life where if you touched his cloak, you were healed, just like Jesus. Planted all these churches, powerful preacher, courageous man, abandoned. God is with him. He writes these words, but he's abandoned. John the Baptist. Wow, there was, a, there was a bad dude in the best sense of the word, huh? Preaching outside the dirty Jordan, calling people to come repent, and they were ready. It was like a revival, people flowing out to the Jordan to get baptized, confess their sins. He had never had a haircut. You can picture his hair and his beard. The scripture says he ate locusts and honey. Can you imagine what a beard looks like where a guy's only eating grasshoppers and honey? There's just stuff sticking out of that beard. I mean, he's just a gnarly, scary-looking dude. He's in some kind of leather animal-cut thing. Just this prophet and powerful and unafraid. Went and preached to the Pharisees, all oh, you brood of vipers. Went to Caesar and Herod and said, I know that you've stolen, stolen your brother's wife. I mean, just unafraid. And then he gets arrested. 
and he's in jail. And he starts, just like you and me, starts to have some doubts. I love that the scripture concludes the story. He sends his, his disciples to Jesus, who's now on the scene. He says, uh, just confirm he's the one, right? Because things aren't going the way I expected. What am I doing in jail? I'm the, I'm the big deal, too. And they go to Jesus and say, uh, our, our teacher wants to know, you, you're the one, right? He didn't make a mistake. That's not why he's in jail, is it? Jesus, oh, you go tell him the blind see, the lame walk, and then Jesus says this great thing. Of those born of woman, there's no one as awesome as John the Baptist. In jail, going to get his head cut off from the casual observer. Yeah, will of God did a lot of good for you. Hey, Paul, really worked out, didn't it? How about Jesus at the cross? Is this working, preacher? But they don't get the last word. Jesus gets the last word. And he gets the last word on you. So what's the message from Paul and John the Baptist and Jesus? Don't measure these truths by your circumstances. That's not the measure. The question is, are you going to trust the harness? Are you going to lean into the ropes of this truth in the midst of those circumstances? Because what God cares about is your character, not your success, not your happiness. He cares about your character. He wants to make a real woman out of you, a real man out of you, who can stand in the midst of pain, loss, tragedy, and with tears say, I still believe. I don't understand. I don't know why this person had to die. I don't know why I had to lose this. I don't know why she left me, but I still believe. I tell you, friend, there's no moment in heaven when God is more glorified than when you, who have every reason to say it's not working, dare to say, I still believe. Just like John the Baptist had to. It's like Jesus had to. Like Paul. I still believe. Verse 33. So who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to stand up and say, well, he shouldn't go to heaven. You shouldn't love her. God's now your head. Jesus is your defense attorney. Wow. God is the one who justifies who is the one who, who's condemned now? Christ is he who died, who was raised at the right hand, who intercedes for us. Who's going to bring some accusation against you when you've got Christ defending you, saying, they are now my son, my daughter, my friend, clothed in my righteousness. Who's going to separate you from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Christians have experienced all those things. They've happened to believers all through the centuries. And what God wants to say is, don't measure my love by those things that happen. Measure it by what I've said. Even though for our sake it feels like you're being put to death all day like sheep to the slaughter, but in all these things you will overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, principalities, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from his love. The devil will try hard. He can't read your mind, but he can definitely broadcast defeat to you. And when you are in that hard place, 
and that hard thing has happened or you really blew it you lost your sobriety and you're thinking can god forgive me and help me one more time that's when the devil shows up and says oh no he can't oh he's tired of you now oh you went too far now that's when you need these verses that's when you need to be trained in your mind and think of these truths that there's nothing not even your stupidity not even your sin can separate you from God's permanent, amazing, magnificent, secure love for you. It's just so big. You don't think about it enough. You need to think more about the depth of his love. It'll change the way you live. It'll change what you worry about. It'll change what you fear. It'll change how you think about this life and, and where your joy is. If these truths get in your heart and you really walk in them and trust them, it will change your outlook. It will change where your peace comes from. Last story, then we'll have communion. 1937... They built the Golden Gate Bridge. Anybody driven on the Golden Gate Bridge? Yeah. Would you trust something built in 1937? That's, they did a great job. They built it for $77 million. That was a lot of money back then. Now you might be able to pave it for $77 million. But it was, it was built in two stages. As they started stage one, 23 of the workers fell to their death as they're building there at such high expanse i mean you, you hit that water you couldn't dive in it just it just killed you the impact was too much 23 and the, so the work would keep stopping because workers would be afraid and they have to agree with that and then they come on they'd be coaxing to keep going it was just going so slow they thought will we ever finish this thing how many more men are we going to lose then someone had an amazing idea true story Let's build a giant net. It was $100,000 to build the biggest net anyone had ever seen, and they put the net under the bridge. The second half was built in two-thirds of the time, and only 10 guys fell in the net. Why? Because now the workers felt secure. Now they knew there was something there to catch them if they fell. That's you, dear one. No matter what you go through, what you lose, what hard thing, the hands of the living God have got you. So don't cling so tight in fear and worry. Don't fear the future. The future is his. And whatever comes, he'll go with you through it. You will never be alone. All oh, these truths, if you would dare to start living in these truths, it'll change you. It'll change you. And that's, that's Josh's prayer for you. I know that's my prayer, that you would take these truths and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read these and memorize them. I'm going to get with somebody else that will help me live in these truths for the next couple weeks and see what would happen. What would change? It's life-changing stuff. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, give us faith to believe what we have in you. You know our, our faith is small. We're easily afraid and intimidated by the 
hard things of life. Oh, give us courage to trust you, to lean into the ropes of your word, to trust the harness of God's love that's got us. Oh, make us free people, Lord, in the best sense of that word. Free to trust, free to love, free to live. Because if you're for me, what can come against me? Thank you for these promises. Make it so in my heart and mind today. To the glory of Jesus, I pray. Amen.